Where would you go if you were feeling unwell or wanted to refer yourself for health and wellness support? If you needed a repeat prescription or want to book a GP appointment, the answer is to go to shwh.co.uk because the Sunderland Health and Wellness Hub has all the information, advice and links you need about local healthcare services in Sunderland and it'll direct you to the right healthcare services for your needs. So for all your health and wellness needs, visit shwh.co.uk. This is Our People Podcast, telling the stories behind South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust. Hello and welcome to this special edition of our People Podcast. I'm your host for today, Liz Davies, and my job here is Director of Communications here at STSFT. In this special podcast episode, we will be celebrating the NHS on its 75th birthday, and I'm delighted to welcome a very special guest to talk all things NHS 75, and that is our Chief Executive here at South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust, Ken Bremner. Ken has worked in the NHS for over 40 years, starting out as an NHS graduate finance trainee and working his way up to Chief Executive in 2003, a position he has held now for almost 20 years. The majority of his career has been right here in Sunderland and more recently in South Tyneside. Ken was awarded an MBE for his services to NHS leadership in 2018. Ken, it's taken us two seasons of our People podcast, but we've finally got you on the show. A very warm welcome. Well, they do say the best things are worth waiting for, don't they? <laughs> if I can perhaps pump myself up a little bit. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks, Ken. So over the next half an hour or so, we're going to be having a conversation um, about the NHS at 75 and reflecting on some of the biggest achievements, mm-hmm. also some of the big challenges that still lie ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, But first of all, Ken, I wondered if you could give us some reflections uh, from the recent roundtable discussions that you've had with staff within the Trust to celebrate the NHS at 75. What were some of the key themes and things that you heard from our colleagues here in the organisation? Yes, well, it was great to uh, have the opportunity of uh, having a little bit of dedicated time, um, a very precious resource, as you know, for not just me, but for our staff as well, to talk to probably about 20 or so uh, staff at both South Tyneside and, and Sunderland, but from other parts of the geography that we serve as well. So it wasn't just focused on those two hospitals um, and get some feedback from uh, them. And I suppose as I, as I look at it and reflect on it, there was um, one thing that I wasn't surprised that they raised, which I'll talk about in a second, but there was thing that one thing that did surprise me, if I'm honest with you. Um, I thought uh, it would come across strongly, and it did, that we've got a fantastically... Uh, loyal and dedicated uh, workforce who clearly no matter where they work in the organization show great pride uh, in what they do um, great resilience and that's of course been very much tested over the last two and a half years or so Um, but also value the way we work in our teams not just our departments and our directorates and our divisions but the way that aggregates up into the whole uh, organization so that certainly came across to me very uh, strongly indeed. The point that I maybe wasn't expected that came through quite strongly from staff was how much they value, I suppose, the NHS's universality and the fact that it remains free at the point of access. And that was quite important to a number of people, that concept. I 
I, in, in my role, as you can imagine, get contact with a wide range of senior people, not just within this country, but also in places like the States. And I've spoken through Meditech, primarily our information provider, to a number of chief executives who run hospitals in the United States and Canada, Australia and South Africa. And there are bits of the NHS which clearly don't work as well as they should, but there's many bits of our system which actually they look with some look upon with some envy. And particularly this bit about it's free at the point uh, of delivery for everybody. Um, and I think that's something that maybe we don't always perhaps value as highly as we should do. And were we to lose it, I think we would be, uh, we'd feel the benefit or the impact of that for a long, long time. But that came across from me most strongly uh, from members of, uh, members of staff. I was actually in one of those sessions and there was a lot of comments around actually a lot of the people that we look after just simply wouldn't be able to afford um, the treatments and care that yep. they have if, it, if the system was different. So. Yep. Okay, thanks Ken. Um, so if we just move on, when you look mm -hmm. back over your career in the NHS, mm -hmm. um, what would you say are the most important things that we should celebrate and be really proud of as we get to this really important 75 year milestone? What stands out to you? Well, I think something fairly basic to start with, um, Liz, if I may, yeah, and in, in that scenario, we're a busy organisation, we're a big organisation, we now deliver lots of patient care, we deliver it in lots of different ways, in different settings, we measure it differently. And let's remember, we get the vast, vast bulk of that patient care absolutely right. And we solve problems for patients. Um, and I do worry sometimes, at the moment in particular, it's a great opportunity with the 75th year to celebrate some of the stuff that actually we do do, generally speaking, a very good job. Um, and in my job, as you can imagine, I have peaks and troughs. And one of the things that I really do enjoy about my job is when actually you get feedback from patients or their families, loved ones, relatives, that actually their member of staff, loved one, whatever came in with X, Y, and Z, and we've solved that problem. We've got them back at home, back into daily living, contributing into society and things like that. So amongst all the tech and all the other kind of jazzy and sexy stuff that's happened, and there's lots of that as well, I think we should also remember actually we do get most things right pretty much most of the time and that's good but clearly there have been some significant changes in in medicines and drugs and technology uh, technology in particular i do think is probably going to accelerate even uh, faster now and its impact on some of the things we do and i might talk a little bit about that in uh, a bit later in the uh, discussion uh, we've seen improve, improvements major improvements in cancer care uh, there's no doubt about uh, about that, but we've seen some innovation and some change as well. Um, some of that, I have to say, has been um, accelerated because of the pandemic. That, in a way, has forced us to look at how do we deliver services, where do we deliver services, and what's really important. And I'll just give an example of things like virtual clinics, which really have come from nowhere two years ago. Now we do lots of them. Um, much more convenient for the patient uh, and better use of staff time as well so there's lots of examples of that innovation and change and just this very week I've been sitting with another of my hats on which is through the academic health science uh, network listening to some of the developments that are in train around things like artificial intelligence and how we might use some of that to better predict when a patient might for example fall 
and uh, one of our wards by looking at body movement and changes in that sort of stuff. So that kind of predictive technology now is going to enable us, I think, to get much more upstream in tackling and preventing some of the issues that uh, that we have as a, a service. But I do feel um, we, start, we still, as a service, are probably a little bit reactive and we don't, as a service, think... Um, and devote enough time and money perhaps as well to actually how much preventative care are we able to give to prevent people coming into into hospitals but the advances in medicines and technology and cancer care the change the innovation we have in the nhs and we're a great organization in demonstrating some of that change and innovation some of the change we put in place ourselves um i think makes me proud that uh, the the nhs has reached this milestone and hopefully will continue way beyond it Thanks, A couple of things you mentioned there around particularly the virtual clinics, and I think one of the other areas that we're now seeing a lot of advancement in is the virtual ward concept, yep. and particularly um, here in our yes. organisation, we'll yep. be looking to trial that over the summer. We will, coming up in the next uh, few months, and um, I think inevitably with these sort of changes, we can... Uh, we need to actually as an organisation look at things like the governance and the risk because we're dealing with human beings at the end of the day so risk and governance are important not that we want to stifle innovation but I think we just want to be clear when we embark on it we know what the risks are and hopefully we can mitigate and manage that but again a good example of where patients don't need to come into a hospital bed be monitored in that hospital bed when actually they can be monitored and managed in many ways just as well in the community and that will help us i think prevent patients coming into hospital unnecessarily but also supporting them quickly when we want to get them out of hospital back into their to their own homes and i think sir will be a good example in a way about how we might better integrate the nhs particularly its hospital and its community and its primary care services which i personally feel over the last 15 or 20 years we've maybe lost a little bit of that integration but I think it's a really good example. And of course, patients now can monitor themselves at home. Yeah. We have the technology um, in anything. We've done it in cardiology for a long, long time with 24-hour tapes and all that sort of uh, stuff. So patients and giving responsibility for patients to manage their conditions at home and only use our services when they feel they need to, again, will help take some of the burden away from us, um, but make it more convenient and more appropriate and more personable or person-centred, I should say, for the individuals. Yeah. So as we sit here in 2023 um, and think about the NHS, compared to what it was in 1948 when it was first established, mm. I guess similar to some of the things you've just met, where do you think we've made the most progress? Well, this is a, a generic um, comment, first of all, but really I think outcomes and life expectancy, people living longer, um, I think are undoubtedly true across um, across our whole population. In our particular part of the world, whilst we've seen some advances in things like life expectancy, it has improved. What we've also seen, it's fair to say, is it hasn't improved as quickly as other parts of the country. So what you're seeing now is some quite stark variations in, um, in care and outcomes and life expectancy. Um, and uh, that is something I think the whole country needs to address, um, that inconsistency or that variation in, in, in that. And it's great that, we're, that people are living longer, but what we want them to do is live longer and to live longer and be healthy. Uh, and more and more of our patients now, as you know, have got multiple and comorbidities, 
um, they're living longer, but sometimes they're living with more problems. So I think the 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 the, the task here, the challenge here is, can we all live to 150? I'll use that just as an extreme example. But I'd like to live to 150 and be healthy and have a reasonably active life, yeah. etc. And that's the challenge for us. But undoubtedly, those outcomes, life expectancy, and living longer has undoubtedly uh, changed. That's brought some pressures on the NHS. And we see that in terms of our own hospitals, don't we? If we look at the makeup now of patients in our medical wards, in particular, the vast, vast majority of those patients are, I'll use this description widely, of an elderly nature. Um, so we've seen all that. We've seen huge advances in specialist care. Yeah. Um, and we've seen some of that in some of the specialist care that we have here in Sunderland and South Tyneside as well. Um, and we do a lot of that, not just for those two populations. We also reach to Durham and other parts of the system um, as well. So where you need specialist care, which may not be as prevalent in the population, you can get that locally from our organisation. Um, I mentioned before a little bit about maybe the NHS has come full circle in terms of integration now. Um, I've worked in the NHS, as you indicated, at the start since 1982. That's the year I started. And I started with a system called District Health Authorities, Regional Health Authorities, um, and um, what is now NHS England. And in, in those days, health authorities managed essentially everything for their local population. So in Sunderland, we had a mental health we had a rehabilitation hospital, we had a couple of acute hospitals, um, and all the community services as well. General practice and primary care is another, another issue, but that was all integrated under one organisational umbrella. Over the years that's been diluted and changed through trusts and NHS, NHS Foundation trusts, and now we're coming full circle and talking about how do we better integrate our services. Now the organisational barriers shouldn't really get in the way, we've got to find a way around that. Um, but I think that collaboration with partners and the contribution that we can make as an organisation to the wider health and population health of, of, uh, of Sunderland and South Tyneside is just as important in many ways as the care we're giving right now in our wards and departments. So I think we're coming full circle a little bit in the NHS and going back to something that's a bit more integrated um, over time. And I think that will be a strength of our system going forward. Uh, I hear too many complaints from patients about um, treated in silos and different sections and none of them really speak together. And coming full circle with technology as well, we can make that happen better by having access to information and data about patients across any of the geographies or the systems that we work across. Um, so the NHS has massively improved. The NHS that my father um, in many ways was born into he was i think just going to university in 1948 from recollection in not here in scotland um but if i asked him he died a couple of years ago but if i asked him about some of the changes he's seen up to his point his point life when we kept him alive until 1988 with a lot of problems a lot of health problems um but 20 30 40 years ago that wouldn't have happened he would probably have died far younger than he actually did yeah. so some fantastic success um but of course, the one thing you learn about health quite quickly is it's never ending. Absolutely. You mentioned there a little bit, Ken, around, um, I guess, that preventative um, angle on things and the NHS not just being there to actually fix people or cure people, yep. but actually having that focus on prevention. I guess that's something as an organisation that we're very much focused on with our you know, population health yep. department now that yep. we're, we, we've got. So did you want to say a little bit more around, I guess, 
where you see our role as the NHS Foundation Trust and yep. sort of leading some of that work, which isn't, I guess, traditionally been the remit of the NHS? No, it's, uh, well, it's, it's yes and no to that question about the remit, actually. I think it is part of the remit to the NHS, actually. I think it's just been, it's been fragmented or diluted a little bit over a period of time. So I think um, I have been a great supporter of things like integrated care systems, and boards running those integrated care systems as you know we've got quite a big one the biggest one in the northeast of north cumbria and the thing that attracts me about that actually is is in the title it's how do we integrate so many of our patients in sunderland have their treatment in sunderland or south tyneside or in our community um, clinics and venues as well but a lot of them require other access to other parts of our system particularly for things like cancer care and radiotherapy where Newcastle's our primary provider but that's not exclusively that other part so we need to link and work in other systems we get all our pathology services by and large from Gateshead yeah. Foundation Trust so we have partnerships and stakeholders that are beyond the boundaries of Sunderland and South Tyneside and we need to work closely with them uh, to make sure what they do delivers what we want for our population um, so there are some undoubted uh, challenges ahead and some of the work we've done with Ryan Swires and the team, particularly the Health Literacy Project, it's been mentioned a number of times and uh, it's now receiving national attention, we know that. It's a really good example about how we are moving away now from dealing with your broken hip or your fracture or your diabetes control or whatever into how do we tackle this particular bit of um, key information for our patients what are we telling them as an organization which might mean or make complete sense to a professional um, but to Mrs Cannybody so to speak who lives in Hendon actually it might be going right over her head we don't know so that that literacy project I think is an important one and I think the investment we've made in public health through Ryan in particular and the team around him um, I think shows us a little bit about where our Features. The problem we have is getting off the treadmill of dealing with the here and now. Because mm. as we speak today, I can guarantee you our EDs will be busy. They'll be full of patients, etc., uh, etc. Et so it's making sure we deliver for those people who need our services urgently and quickly, but at the same time being able to devote a bit of our um, resource and time to focus on the prevention and the upstream work, which is critically important. Because otherwise what will happen is that we'll end up having to build even bigger and bigger hospitals. If we don't tackle that prevention bit, we'll have bigger ED departments, we'll have more wards. Um, and we all feel that's not necessarily the right thing to be doing. So I think that focus a little bit on prevention is going to become increasingly important for us. And remember, we are now probably, well, I think we probably are now the largest employer in Sunderland and probably the same in South Tyneside. So we have a massive impact on our communities and the economies in our communities. Now I take that responsibility uh, quite seriously, not just the fact that we employ a lot of staff, um, but the role that they play, not just as advocates or supporters of our organisation, but the role they play in our communities and the economies and um, where they bring up their children, where they educate their children, the housing quality that we have, the access to careers and development they have, the environment now more and more that they're working in and living in is become a very important part of our, our work. And I devote a bit of my time as Chief Executive to how does the city in Sunderland and the borough in South Tyneside now actually, how is it approaching that?
because unless we have a good environment good schools etc etc we won't necessarily recruit all the people we need to recruit to come and work in our organization in future years thanks ken really interesting uh, conversation you you move slightly onto my next subject area here which was uh some of the challenges as we look to the future and mm -hmm. in the next 75 years of the nhs um what are the biggest challenges that lie ahead and how do we tackle them so i think there are i'll summarize this in two ways really the first one i think is what i what i would call a horrible word personalization so how do we make liz for you the service you get when you need it no matter where you're looking to access nhs services personal to you and that's a really tricky one for us to get right when we see we have millions of patient contacts every year making every one of those count i make every one of those feel it's a personal journey mm -hmm. for you and no matter where you go in your system our system somebody's navigating you somebody's got that invisible hand and knows where you are and what's happening and what's not happening so you get something that's very much bespoke for yeah. you so how do we turn a national health service delivered locally through our organization into something that becomes effectively bespoke for the 288,000 people we have in Sunderland and the 150,000 people we have mm -hmm. in South Tyneside. So personalization, which we see in many other aspects of, of life now anyway, um, how do we make that happen for health for me is a big issue looking ahead. We've talked about technology. I'm going to raise it again because I think that's the other bit that clearly, I mean, the world out there is changing fast. Everybody's running everything these days from smartphones. And hey-ho, we're doing this podcast today <laughs> with a smartphone in front of me on the, uh, uh, on the table. But that's how people are running their lives. And the, the technology, the apps, and all the stuff around that is going to change enormously. And I can now go to Portugal, Spain, France, wherever on holiday this summer, and I have an app, an NHS app, on my phone, all my COVID uh, passes and lots of other health data about me. And I've got it there and available if I needed to use it or show it, etc, etc. And that's developing in so many different uh, ways. So I think personalisation and harnessing technology are two, for me, of the big ticket issues that I think the NHS has to address in coming years. Now, there's lots of things for us as an organisation to reflect on beneath those two broad um, banners, um, particularly things like um, recruitment and retention of staff. Now, hopefully this week on Friday, fingers crossed, we're going to get the long-awaited publication of the NHS workforce um, plan. Um, I've been down that road a number of times, but we're, it's planned for, I think, the back end of this, of this week. So hopefully we'll get that. And I think that will be, I'm hoping it will be a signal now that we can start to get supply and demand for our workforce in better sync because there's no doubt as we know at the moment that demand for our services and care is rising almost exponentially but the supply particularly of key skills isn't keeping pace with that and that's causing some of our problems so i hope that that bit about a workforce plan is going to give us that framework to, to work and i have confidence that in five or ten years time we won't find ourselves in a position where we have a lack of doctors, a lack of nurses, a lack of allied health professionals and other staff as well, including our administrative staff and teams, I would hasten to add. Um, and we've got a sufficient workforce to do the job that's expected of us. In the meantime, we've got to, re we've got to retain our existing people, which means giving them support, 
um, and giving them the sort of experience and environment at work that's going to keep them focused on what they do best, which is seeing uh, patients and giving quality care. So that recruitment, retention, and workforce plan, I think is going to be quite um, critical. We're also seeing as part of that, aren't we changing roles? We yeah. know um, things that were done by junior doctors five or 10 years ago aren't being done by junior doctors anymore. We've got specialist nurses, advanced care practitioners in lots of different areas in the organisation who've all in many ways moved into some of the space that's been left by junior doctors, um, partly because we're not training enough and we've got quite a few gaps across the country, but it's enabled us to look critically, self-critically, I think, um, about how do we use some of our experience and skilled nursing staff in particular, but not exclusively in different ways. I just use that by way of an example. So we've seen lots of those different roles emerging now and that can help take the pressure off some of our senior medical staff in particular, um, but they're also managing caseloads of their own. Um, so I think that's been a great change as well. And then the other issue, I suppose, it would be worth just dwelling on for a second too, is the, the whole issue around public perception and attitudes, and maybe some of the knock-on consequences that has for us as an organisation. Now, there's no doubt people view the huge sums of money being put into the NHS at the moment. Um, the figure probably isn't short of 200 billion or won't be fairly, it will it'll be up there fairly soon, I've got no doubt about it. So it's a big chunk of public, public money. I think about 45% now of all public expenditures going on health. So people quite rightly for the taxes they pay, be it direct or indirect taxes, are expecting a bespoke personalised service, which we can't always live up to, which we've just discussed. So I think that perception about what they need, and of course, like, like most modern generations, they want it now, <laughs> they want it immediately, is something we've got to be at the forefront of. I don't think we can bury our heads about that. That is the way public expectations mm -hmm. going. And in fact, as I ask our own staff those questions, it's exactly what they want as well for themselves and their own mm -hmm. family. It's almost as if the NHS, it's a victim of its own success. In, really, in that it? sense, it is. It is. And we'll never, ever get there. That's the point. We'll never, ever reach that utopia where everybody's completely satisfied with what they're getting, etc., etc., because of the relentless change in technology, if nothing else. But managing public perceptions and understanding sometimes about the way we do things um, is important. Uh, but I do want to dwell on attitudes for a second or two, because there's no doubt at this point in time, given the economic problems the country's facing, the cost of living crisis we've had, and we've seen the impact of that, not just on the population, but we've seen it on our staff as well, absolutely. Um, we are seeing, coupled to that, things like an increasing amount of violence and aggression. Um, and uh, we've been discussing that as an exec team over these last couple of meetings. You'll hear more about this in some of the team brief, I've got no doubt that, uh, that we do. But I'm, I'm sad to say in some respects that we're now happy to consider how do we make our hospital a bit more secure and our staff feel secure in that? And I've always, always, and still of the view, I do not want to make our hospital like a prison. We want to have open access. We want people to come and visit members of their family uh, freely and openly. Um, but there's unfortunately sometimes a negative side to that that we're now going to have to spend a bit of time um, managing. 
And sadly, it's not something that's unique to us. You increasingly nope. hear in reports on the news across the country of, of various different um, incidents of violence well, uh, within the NHS towards staff. So it's something that's that's a worry. It is a worry, um, but um, it's something I think we're going to have to not bury our heads about. Okay, I'm going to move us on. I'm conscious of time. Um, the final thing I just wanted to ask you about was what makes you most proud, Ken, to, to be part of the NHS and to have spent your whole career in the NHS? What is it that makes you feel most proud? Well, we maybe answered a little bit at the start, but I'll, I'll maybe expand a little bit more. But, you know, in summary, what makes me proud actually is the care we give to patients at the end of the day. And the vast, vast majority of that is very good. Now, that I'm not complacent. Uh, I know we don't get things right all the time. We don't. Um, and then sometimes that can be catastrophically wrong. That's unfortunately one of the side effects of being essentially in a human business. But I'm proud of what we deliver day in, day out, um, 365 days a year, 24-7. Uh, you know all that as well as I do. And um, we do it in great numbers. And generally speaking, we keep the quality uh, high. Now, the quality and what we deliver is essentially down to people. Uh, you can't, we, are, we are still, despite the relentless march of technology, we are still essentially a human business. We employ, um, depending how you measure it, anywhere between about 8,500 and 9,000 um, people who provide great care in our hospitals, our community uh, settings, right across our geographies. So I'm proud of our staff. Of course I am. Um, they are fantastic. Um, I'm proud of the patients um, who, in a way, are placing their trust in us every day when they come in hospitals aren't always the safest places to be um, but they recognize I think their local hospital is there for them when they need it um, and they place their trust in us every day and that to a degree makes me proud as well they trust us in many ways with their lives yeah. um, and obviously the plethora of others carers the social care system that we have as well all these people contribute towards the care that uh, that we give um, so I'm proud of all the people that uh, we uh, we deal with. Um, we are still, and if you read the King's Fund report that's just been published this week, and it was critical about some aspects of NHS provision, particularly on access to things like uh, CT and MRI, um, and uh, and also the kind of backlog around some of our um, environments. But actually, it's still, and I would still back this up as well. It's still probably one of the most efficient healthcare systems uh, there is in. Uh, the uh, world there's no doubt about that and I reflect as we're speaking Liz as you know we're just they've just started the COVID-19 inquiry uh, nationally um, and that'll run its course over the god knows how long I think about a, a year and a bit probably even longer to finally uh, conclude and there are lots of things to learn from the pandemic but the biggest issue for me here and I suppose it's an issue for the wider um, population Actually, it does make you pause and think about what do we really value in our society. And despite the NHS slipping in the polls recently, I do think most people value having an NHS, having a high quality NHS, um, and that one that's there and that's free at the point uh, of delivery. And I think uh, that for me is something that I'm still proud of and I hope the NHS continues to uh, to deliver that efficiency, equity where it can, um, but also free at the point of, uh, of need and use for, for individuals. That's so important. Ken, thank you very much. I'm going to um, 
call it a day there, but we'd love to have you back on the podcast again soon. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of our People podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and check out our other stories. Hit subscribe to keep up with the latest and catch up with what we've been up to on our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search for our name.